You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This is Bianca. This is Dr. Corey Fawcett. Hi, this is Diana Merriam, Chief Economist of the Economy Conference, and you're listening to the Earn and Invest Podcast. It started with an innocent documentary. My wife had randomly picked it on Netflix, titled The Way. It was the story of a wayward ophthalmologist played by Martin Sheen, who lost his son to an accident on a holy pilgrimage called El Camino de Santiago. By the end of the movie, I for once in my life had a bucket list with one single item. I would walk El Camino before I died. I couldn't explain why the movie had affected me so. Maybe it was the mix of physicality and spirituality that El Camino offered. Maybe it was just good storytelling. I thought little of it. The idea faded to the back of my mind, an itch, a memory, a distant plan, until this pilgrimage that I had never heard of before in over 40 years of life suddenly kept popping up everywhere I looked. Specifically, kept popping up in conversations within the financial independence personal finance community. But why? What does El Camino have to do with financial independence? What does it have to do with money? Whether you're walking the Camino or on the entrepreneurial path, many of you are freelancers, small business people, and consultants. And what's even harder than getting that big job or account? It's getting paid for it once the work is done. That's why we are giving a big thanks to Joust for supporting Earn and Invest. Joust is the nation's only all-inclusive banking platform for the self-employed. Pay Armor, Joust's invoice payment guarantee product, supports the 71% of the gig economy's workforce that experiences non-payment. You can sign up for Joust for free at try.joust.com backslash W-U-N and enter the promo code W-U-N and get $100 in credits. That's try.joust.com slash W-U-N. Corey Fawcett is a retired surgeon, writer of four books guiding doctors on practice and financial issues, including his latest, The Doctor's Guide to Real Estate Investing for Busy Professionals. Corey, welcome back to the What's Up Next podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I'd love to be your guest. Totally excited to have you back. And I think of the people on our panel, you were the one who walked the Camino most recently. You just got back a bunch of months ago. Is that right? Yeah, in July. We did it early summer. It was a lot of fun. Bianca Di Valerio is the author of the financial independence blog, Miss Mizuma. She is a flight attendant, a world traveler, and one of the clearest voices of the financial independence movement. Thank you. It's been a while since your very first one, eh? 
I was about to say, a lot of people don't know, but Bianca was on the panel for the very first What's Up Next podcast. So we're really excited to have you back on. Diana Miriam is a marketing professional, a debt slayer, and the creator and organizer of the upcoming Economy Conference. Diana, that's coming up pretty soon, right? We're, oh, we're, yeah. It's we're, on March 7th, so we're less than seven weeks. Yeah, this probably will come out right around the time of the conference. So I know we're all excited about it, and it's coming quickly. So buy your tickets if you haven't that's already. That's right. <laughs> well, Corey, I think I'm going to start with you. Talk about what is the Camino? A lot of us hear the term or El Camino de Santiago, but what is it exactly? It's a, a long-time pilgrimage in Europe to the town Santiago de Compostela, where St. James is supposedly buried. And people made a pilgrimage from all over Europe. Originally, they would just start at their home, and you would leave your home with your little bag of food and nothing really else and walk to the cathedral. Who knows how far that would be? And so there are lots of paths across Europe that converge at that one spot. So there's, the Camino itself is not really a trail, like the Pacific Crest Trail, where I live near. It's not like that. It's more of a web, and everything comes to there. We talk about it as being 500 miles, but that's kind of incorrect, right? Because it really depends on your starting place and there are multiple different starting places. I walk the Camino Francais, which is at one particular path, and it's probably the most commonly walked path. And that path traditionally is 500 miles long from where they say start here and end here. And it was really arbitrary. Somebody just said, this is where we're going to do this. And and I'm going to set up all the information you need so that you can follow it nicely and find places to stay and find the restaurants. The 500 miler is the the most common path people take, but there's lots of different ways. I ran into somebody that was walking 1,200 miles. Diane, I've heard the term pilgrims used to describe the people taking this path. It is a pilgrimage of a sort? Yeah. I mean, historically, it's a Catholic pilgrimage. People would do it for penance. Um, when I was on the way, I actually only met one person who was doing it for penance. Um, most people in this day and age that I met, it was more either celebrating their retirement or taking a mini retirement like I did. Um, I met some kids doing it for a gap year, like after they graduated high school. So, I mean, I think that it is definitely a spiritual journey, but I didn't meet that many people that were doing it for penance. Just one. Bianca, Diana said the way, and I've heard El Camino or El Camino de Santiago. It's got a lot of names, right? It does. I mean, the movie you mentioned was called The Way, so that's the translation of it. But people just call it the Camino because most people know what it is if you've ever heard of it. If you just say that, it's the most common term, I think. It's one of those things that, like you said, Doc, as soon as you hear it, you're going to keep hearing it. It's kind of the calling to go. It's really interesting to me because I had never heard of it before. And then all of a sudden it keeps popping up. Corey, Diana also mentioned some of the people she met and the reasons for going. Talk about the different kinds of people you met on the path. Well, there was definitely a variety of people. One that really stood out to me was a young girl who just graduated from college. She had no money, didn't have a job yet, and she just wanted to discover herself. And so she took off with, I'd say, little preparation. Her mother was really unhappy, and she actually had to call her mother 
every day to reassure her that she was still alive and well. No one had attacked her and she wasn't missing. But she had some uh, great discovery to do as she went on her first major adventure of her life. She had lived a really sheltered life. And this was basically her first time free. And she was a really kind of neat person to talk to. And then I remember a guy, this guy was walking 1,200 miles. He started in his home, I think it was Belgium or something like that, up near the Netherlands. And he walked all the way across France and then joined the trail where we were. And he hit our trail. As the days go by, you kind of run into these same people. Sometimes they're walking about the same speed as you are, and you might see them for a couple of days. One or the other might take a rest day. And then the other one disappears. And then later on, a different rest day joins you back together again. But some guys were walking so fast. Some of these young people, I mean, I'm in my 50s. I'm kind of an old guy for doing this stuff. But there was one young guy, and I remember our average day was about 13 miles. And that was a tough day for us. And he said, oh, you know, I'm going to take it easy tomorrow. I think I'm going to take a day off. I'm going to cut it down and just do 20 miles tomorrow. And I'm thinking, holy cow, but his average day was 30 miles a day. You can do the Camino at your own pace. Some days I didn't feel good. We only did five miles that day. The best day we did was 20 miles. And it was just incredible variety of people that were out there and all for different reasons. Diana, did that hold true for you? Did you feel like you were seeing the same faces over and over again while you were on the path? Oh, absolutely. And I think like when you would meet someone usually there'd be some kind of connection. I felt like everyone I met, the conversations were really a cut deeper. You'd really feel connected to these people when they would leave you. You know, you'd say, Buen Camino, and you never knew if you were going to see them again. I remember um, how exciting it would be when you would run into someone that you'd talked to before. And even when I got to Santiago and I went to the mass, there, the big cathedral where they, why am I forgetting the name of it? The like big thing that they swing back and forth with the smoke and it's like this big production, but it's like the final mass. And I remember sitting there and writing in my journal and I turned around and there were like three people that I met on the first day that I hadn't seen the whole rest of the time I was walking. And it was just this, wow, we made it. You know, I never thought I was going to see those people again. It just feels like a reunion every single time you see them. Bianca, speak to this. It sounds like the conversations you have on the path tend to be a little bit more profound. Is that what you found when you were there? You could just cut right to it. You know, everyone knows you're out there for a reason, and usually people cut right to the reason, which takes away a lot of the small talk. Or the other thing is there's camaraderie, right? You're going through the same struggles hiking, whether it be the weather or physical aspects of it. So um, I've been out there six times. In, In 2014, I took my mother. And we did parts of it because she couldn't do the whole thing. But we met a woman on the first day that we walked. We actually met her again off the plane in France. We took a train with her to the start. And then we wound up uh, hiking together the first couple of days. And then we lost touch after a while. And this year, when I had finished the Camino in November, I was back in Santiago. And I ran into her, just randomly ran into this woman I haven't seen in six years. It was insane. But I love that part. And also... Beautiful Mario is what she's responding to the um, name of the incense swinging, which is a really amazing thing. It's, it like caps off the whole thing to sit there at a pilgrim's mass and kind of be washed with this amazing incense and the smell and the sound and everything. It's really cool. 
Yeah. And I had read actually that the incense, the reason why they do that is because in medieval times, by the time the pilgrims would get there, they smelled so bad. Yes. <laughs> that that's why they would, that, yeah. <laughs> so if I'm correct, I think what you guys are referring to, and I saw it in the movie is when you get there to the church at the end, they have this incredibly huge swinging like pyre of incense going back and forth. Is that the part you're talking about? And yeah. I, I can only imagine what it looks like in person. I know visually it was stunning in the movie itself. So I can only imagine what it must have felt like I'm, in person. You know, I'm, I'm disappointed that I went to the Pilgrim's Mass before the movie came out. But when I saw it in the movie, I was like, oh, I wish that they didn't put that in there because I think it's a really cool thing to see for your first time when you're there. But I think it was also that many times I've gone after, I've still had a similar experience to the first time. So I guess maybe it doesn't matter as much, but it's cool. I remember being very struck by like, it looks like it's just going to hit everyone in the head when it's totally. <laughs> swinging over everyone. And so you're sitting there thinking like, it's just a miracle that it's not knocking people out. Yeah. <laughs> it's that whole thing. When I arrived this summer, they are remodeling the cathedral. And so yeah. everything is shut down and they were having masses for everybody at other little churches around the area. And so this whole thing you're discussing now, I totally missed that I'm going to have to see that on my second communion. Yes. Corey just mentioned his second Camino and Bianca, I think you have the record here of what being maybe on the path six separate times. You mentioned that you had been by yourself at times, but you also did it with your mother. Does it feel differently going by yourself versus with other people? I much prefer to hike alone. I wanted to go with her because I wanted her to have the experience of it. And I knew she would never go by herself. This is the type of thing that's very safe for women to do alone. I would love to do the Appalachian Trail. I don't feel quite as safe there, not just for people, but also animals there that can eat me. So there aren't any of those on the Camino. It is quite safe. They have a very good record. There's only been one incident that we won't go into now, but I think that hiking solo, especially something like this, if you think of it as a pilgrimage for sure, but if you're doing it for spiritual purposes, you don't want other people's thoughts and ideas in your head while you're doing this. And you know, people always say, well, what are you thinking when you're out there? And all I can say is everything and nothing. You know, your mind's going in circles and twisting all over the place and you'll get stuck on one thing for a while and then it'll pass. And sometimes I write postcards in my head, but by the time I get to where I'm staying for the night, there's no sense in writing them. It's, it's a very strange thing. And, and I don't think it's quite the same if you start with somebody. And it's very difficult to hike 500 miles with the same partner too, because you hike at different paces. Corey, I want to get a little bit into the why of El Camino. Tell me what spurred you to take this trip. It's interesting that a lot of people can give you a why. I can't. I really don't know why this happened. Like you, I suddenly saw it, and then it just kept popping up everywhere. And I just got a bug in me that said, I want to do this. I don't know why I got that bug, but it just became a new adventure that I wanted to do. And one day, another couple in our church mentioned that they wanted to walk the Camino the next year. So I said, well, why don't we go with you? And that made it real. It was on the calendar. And we started training. And when you think about why would you do something like this, I started training and I could only walk one mile and my hips hurt. And I was thinking as I began the training, why am I doing this? <laughs> this is silly. I can only walk a mile and I'm going to walk 450 miles across Spain. At that time, when we were going with them, the path was going to be 500 miles because they had a particular town they wanted to start in. 
I wasn't particularly enamored with that town. It was hard to get to. I wanted to start at an easy to get to town. We could just fly right in and start walking. As it turned out, they didn't go. Some things changed in their life. They couldn't go. We were already trained and we said, we are going. It took me several months to work up from one mile to be able to walk consistently six miles at a time. And we weren't going to blow all that work we did. And so we took off and we got to start at the town I wanted to start in. We just flew right into Pamplona. It has a nice big airport, got a hotel. And then the next day we started our journey. People ask me all the time, why'd you do this? And the answer is, I don't know. And Diana, let's talk about the timing of your Camino trip. You did this really at a transitional period of your life, didn't you? Yeah, I I really did it for my 30th birthday, and I planned to do it for my 40th, my 50th, my 60th, my 70th, and my 80th birthdays. It's just my challenge now is I don't know that I can wait that long until I'm 40, (laughs) because I really want to do it again. Highly recommend. (laughs) Yep. They say it gets in your blood. You know, it just like calls you back. Bianca, can you remember why you did the Camino the first time? Yeah, like I mentioned before, I really wanted to do the Appalachian Trail and I read too much about it and scared the crap out of myself. So (laughs) I didn't go. And then this just popped up. I was reading a magazine and it was in there and I thought, well, this sounds interesting. And then it just so happened. I saw Shirley MacLaine was on the Oprah show a long, long time ago and she had just done it and written a book about it. So I listened to her and she said it was safe for women and something else came up in three signs and I was booking a flight. I want to mention something that uh, Corey had said a second ago about no specific distance you have to walk, which is true. However, if you want to get the Compostela at the end, which is a certificate of completion, uh, you do have to walk the last 100 kilometers on foot or 200 kilometers by bicycle. There are multiple stops and you carry a little passport and get stamps. Is that right? Yeah, you carry your passport and they will stamp it at every single place that you sleep at. And some bars along the way also, they're really beautiful. And it's such a great keepsake or memento at the end that doesn't cost anything. And you've been traveling with it for so long. And it's kind of cool to be able to compare stamps with other people like, oh, where'd you stay last night? And most of the time we can't remember. So you have to pull out the passport anyways to check it out. But for something that is so free range, they have it really well organized too. Corey, I want to go back a little to my comments in the introduction. I noticed that when I started looking, especially after I knew about what El Camino was, I seemed to hear a lot of it in the financial independence and personal finance community. You wrote a post about your journey and you said, my Camino de Santiago journey, a fire adventure. Why why a fire adventure? Well, when I started this adventure, I would have said it has nothing to do with fire. I'm just going for a long walk. As the days went by, I began to learn some new lessons. One of the biggest one was about minimalism. And most of the people in the fire movement use minimalism as their tool to get there. They keep their life minimal, keep their expenses minimal. They can save more money that way. And then they need less money in savings when they get there. That had never really been a part of my life. I really wasn't a minimalist. As we got to go and we spent 38 days walking on a trail with just two outfits, our little backpack with just a few things in it, every morning, it's like my biggest decision was to decide, am I going to wear the blue or the green today? And the blue stinks, so I think I'll wear the green. Life really changed in my mind when things got so simple that that was the big question of the day. 
I didn't have all these complicated things to deal with. I didn't have a, a blog to work on. My, my phone is in airplane mode. Nobody's calling me. I don't have to make any decisions on that extended warranty that my car has just expired. It comes on my phone three times a day. I wasn't watching television. It was in the wrong language. Life became so simple. It was about getting up, getting dressed, eating, walking, and relaxing at the end of the day. When I got home, it was very strange that we got to the airport and we just had these two little backpacks. And there was a couple in front of us, these two ladies that had a big cart with a whole bunch of suitcases. And I think they were going for one week somewhere. And we had just spent two months with just this little bitty backpack each. And it really dawned on me how much different I had become in thinking how much is really necessary. And when we got home, we had discussed many times in the past uh, downsizing our house. We have a pretty big house with a pretty major yard that with two ponds and four pond pumps and waterfalls and fish. And it's a lot of work and we have to make arrangements when we leave. And we realized that it was time. We should back off on this. And we're actually now designing a house. And this summer, we'll be building a smaller home with no yard that we can just turn a key and walk away and feel good about it, that it's fine, doesn't need babysitting while we're gone. I think it made a real big difference in what I felt about minimalism in my life. Diana, is there this connection between El Camino and minimalism? I mean, do they go together? I totally agree with Corey. I mean, I think that when you experience, you know, two months with three pairs of underwear and, you know, just what was on my back, it really was a lesson in what's important in life and how much you don't need. I definitely think that that experience had me coming home thinking, why do I have all this crap that I don't need? Bianca, you called the Camino vacation arbitrage. What did you mean by that? Well, that also is for the five community because it's so cheap to go there and be gone for 30 days or however long you're there for. And, you know, some of the places that you sleep in are by donation. So that could be really inexpensive, but they're usually around six, seven, eight euros to sleep for the night. And then food can be as little as you want it to be. There's normally a pilgrim's meal, which will go with dinner. They'll do appetizer and dinner, a dessert and wine or water because you can't have both. And that is usually 10 euros. And so if you're living on that much per day, plus snacks and stuff during the day, it's not very expensive. But if you're not even doing the pilgrim's meal, it's much, much less expensive. So that's one of the things. But there's something I wanted to mention about the minimalism aspect of it. There's a documentary called Six Ways to Santiago, and it's fabulous if you haven't seen it. There's a, I can't remember if it's a priest or who he is, but he says something in there that's so poignant. And I've always remembered it. And he says that your fears live in your backpack. So all the crap that we're carrying with us is for the just in case, right? And most of the time, none of this stuff comes up. And if it does, the whole purpose of the Camino and something that has been a model along it for many, many years, I mean, it's an ancient pilgrimage. You left with just a sandwich and you were walking you know, through all this terrain and everything else with nothing. And the motto is that the Camino will provide. So you're supposed to let go of all the other stuff that can possibly save you and hope that there's other people and things around, which I know is very hard for our culture to understand, but it's true and it happens. And it happens in the strangest of ways. You'll meet someone who has exactly what you need. You'll look down and you'll find exactly what you need. Just living by that motto, I think is really, really important. And I do that in my own life now, but I also do it when I travel. I don't carry all the extra crap because we can almost get anything anywhere these days. 
Bianca made a really good point about like the Camino provides. I think that's part of like the mystical side of it, kind of trusting in this uncertainty that you're going to be able to figure it out. There comes a time where I kind of feel guided. And that's part of the reason why I got an arrow tattooed on my wrist is to kind of remind me that not just on the Camino, but in life, you can kind of tap into that part of yourself. One of the things that I really needed that I didn't know that I needed, I didn't struggle too much with blisters, but you're bound to get them in one way or the other. And I met this English man who had a big pack of lamb's wool all of the research and preparation that I did for the Camino, I'd never heard anyone talk about lamb's wool. And you almost kind of like weave it between your toes. And my blisters were between my toes. And it feels like you're just like walking on clouds. And you can't buy it anywhere. I couldn't find it anywhere on the trail. It was this one guy that had lamb's wool. And I just found myself like when I needed more of it, I would run into him and he would give me more. It was just pretty amazing. Bianca, let's talk about spirituality a little bit. I feel like it's a conversation we definitely don't have much in personal finance. And yet here I have three financial independence people coming together and we're talking a lot about spirituality. What is it about the Camino that brings that out? And is there a place for spirituality in our financial discussions? I think there is. I think it's really personal. And again, this goes back to why I hike alone is because I know I'm doing a lot of work, internal work while I'm hiking. And it's very hard to have that kind of interrupted. And I think that that's an issue that we have is that we're always thinking if we're here at home, we're working, we've got kids, we've got school stuff, we've got all these things distracting us from being able to go internal, that having a good break from that it starts to flow. It's a very bizarre thing. And maybe that's why you get the call to go back because you're trying to give yourself a break to be able to do it. And I think that that's the same reason why you get the call to go as well. Not everyone knows about it. Like you said, it took you 40 something years to ever hear about it, but now you're hearing it all the time. That same type of flow that's pulling you towards something. In, in terms of personal finance, spirituality is very similar. It's personal. You know, our finance is personal. Spirituality is personal. There is definitely some intersection, but I think you really have to feel it out. It's the same way you feel out who are you going to talk to about money. It's that taboo thing. Religion also is taboo. Spirituality can be the same as religion. So you really have to feel it out the same way. And again, that's one of the things for finance for me is just lead by example and eventually the right people surround you and you can have those conversations. I think Bianca makes a great point of having kind of the time and space to do that kind of internal work. An example that I like to give people and just describing how that felt. Imagine you're driving to work in the morning and someone cuts you off. Then you get to the office and you're distracted by emails and voicemails and whatever your work is. You bury it and it goes away. On the Camino, someone will piss you off in the morning. Someone will be rude to you. And then you walk with that all day. You don't have anything else really distracting you. And you kind of like pick it apart. And was it them? And was it me? And there's just this spaciousness to dive into those little things that happen to us every day that we just kind of bury. You really get to like work with them on the trail. One of the things I've been seeing also is in the last couple of years, I've been out there, people wearing stickers or pins that say either I'm in mourning or I'm in silence or I'm whatever it is to let other people know not to come up and, and do that spiritual cutoff like you're talking about. Because it, it is really distracting. And 
by the way, once we're all in town at the end of the day, it becomes kind of festive, right? Everyone's done with their day. It's hard to find that quiet space. If the only time that you can find it is during the walk, then take it. I just saw a sign recently that someone said, please leave me alone. I get distracted easily, which, you know, is the same thing. Like if you're really trying to work out some things mentally, you just need that space to do it. And it's okay to let other people know that. I felt a lot of the question of why coming up. Why do mm-hmm. I do what I do? And, yeah. and there was a lot of time to think about why. And I think that is the basis of a lot of people's spiritual walk is the why. Diana, we've talked a little bit about the spirituality, but as I listen to all three of you talk, there's a definite physicality towards this too. Sounds at some points like it can be pretty arduous, the actual hiking and the blisters, et cetera. Is that true? Absolutely. I think I got really lucky in that the physical side of it is what I most prepared for because that was what I was most nervous about. I wouldn't really consider myself a very athletic person. I didn't do a lot of hiking before. So I spent months before going, breaking in my new shoes and taking these like 15, 20 mile hikes. I mean, just around Cincinnati, people thought I was crazy because I'm like walking around with 20 pounds on my back trying to train my body so that I wouldn't maybe suffer so much while I was on the trail. It was amazing to me how many people that would have these terrible blisters that would have injuries. Maybe they would fall or something would happen where they had some kind of injury and they would just walk on it. If you were training for a marathon or something, your doctor would tell you to like take a rest until it healed and then continue. But on the Camino, it amazed me how you could just keep going. And even with my blisters, I mean, I had blisters that were nothing compared to what I've seen on other people and I would walk on them all day you just get used to it. I don't even know how to describe it. I had two injuries on the trip. Threw my back out. At home, I'd have stayed in bed for several days until my back felt better. I wouldn't have done things. But I have a Camino to do. And I just popped the ibuprofen and started walking. Uh, And then another day, I had a nerve injury happen in my leg. It felt like somebody stuck a knife in me suddenly. And we paused for a while. And it was like, I wasn't sure I could go on. And yet, I did. And the change we made uh, when I hurt my leg was from there forward, we had my backpack to the next destination. And it only cost five euros to have them deliver your backpack for you. So even when I thought I was going to have to give it up, uh, I was able to find a way around that. It's a very long hike. And I've seen it several times where the first day, especially if you're doing the St. James Way, so if you're coming from St. Jean Pied de Port, and you go over the Pyrenees the first day. And there's this turtle in the hair aspect of it. You'll see these kids, you know, young in their teens, 20s, basically running over the mountain. And the next day, they're basically crippled by it. I mean, they're sore, they have blisters, they have to take a couple of days off. Whereas you'll see older folks, and now I consider myself one of those. And even up into their 80s, I've walked with several uh, women and men in their 80s, and they just go slow and at their own pace, and they're not out to beat anyone. It's not a race. And they wind up being perfectly fit the entire way. You know, you, you just have to listen to your body. And when you're starting to feel those blisters, stop and assess it. And a lot of people don't do that, so they get worse and worse as it goes. In terms of difficulty, Anybody can do this. Really, I've seen people pushing wheelchairs. I've seen people pushing strollers. I've seen people carrying their kids on their backs. Anybody can do it. 
but you have to be able to listen to yourself. And like Diana said, people do tend to prepare for the physical aspect of it, but really what usually takes them out is the mental side, not being able to push through some of the pain, giving up, realizing, oh my gosh, I have to do this again for the next 20 days in a row. That's what really will break you down. Of course, there's some of that you might get hurt. Yeah, that's a physical thing, but most people can make it to the end if they can you know, get their mental side in order. All right. So most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor. And it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights, we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave, and two minutes later, we'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing, and there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week. These are chef-prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later, you have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. If you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, I'm never going to be able to do that, don't. There is a physical part about it, but as you said, you can go at your own pace. When I decided I was going to do this, 
I had been bicycling. That was my kind of exercise. Nothing that required gravity on my joints. When I started training for this, I couldn't walk more than a mile and my hips hurt. And so I began in my 50s, started at one mile and I worked my way up and we averaged 13 miles a day. I remember thinking and learning on the Camino that age is really just a number. There were so many people in their 60s and their 70s that were blowing past me on the trail. And I remember at dinner one night, I was feeling bad about myself. Like I had trained so hard for this. Like I was supposed to, you know, be this young person able to do this. And I remember this older woman said to me, Honey, we've got new knees. We've got new hips. Our joints are younger than you. <laughs> of course, we're blowing past you on the trail. I'd like to take a pause for a moment and recap. In the first half of the show, Corey, Diana, and Bianca introduced us to the Camino and some of the physical challenges involved. After the break, we delve into what in the world this has to do with personal finance and financial independence. But before we do, I wanted to say thanks to Jows for supporting Earn and Invest. Have you ever thought about starting your own business? Perhaps you wanted to begin a side hustle or passion project, but weren't sure where to begin. Ensuring a steady income will always be one of the first things you think of and could be the reason why you don't eventually take the leap. Joust is the nation's only all-inclusive banking platform for the self-employed. Business making can feel complicated, but Joust makes it easy. PayArmor, Joust's invoice payment guarantee product, supports the 71% of the gig economy workforce that experiences non-payment. You can sign up for Joust for free at try.joust.com backslash WUN and enter the promo code WUN and get $100 in credits. That's try.joust.com slash WUN. I really think it's so important to go at your own pace. And I was actually reading my journals preparing for this podcast. And one of the things that I had to continually remind myself is to go my own pace and how important it was for me to go alone and to do it alone. Because I would notice that I would be talking to someone and they'd be really interesting. So I'd, I'd try to walk at their pace and that's when like a blister would start forming or I wouldn't feel as good the next day because I was trying to go at their pace and not my pace. So I continually had reminders that can't compare yourself to anyone else and that it is your Camino and you really have to honor that. I feel like you could have taken the term Camino out and put financial independence in and it would have been the totally. same exact thing. As you were saying that, I saw the connections there. Yeah. There's a saying in, in long distance hiking, that's hike your own hike. And that's the same thing. Finance your own finance. Like, Don't worry about where everyone else is at. Don't worry about how much you have compared to them or how they got there or how many miles you've done. Just do your own thing and you're going to get to the end. Corey, I almost feel like, and, and we talk about this a lot with financial independence, it's confusing the destination for the path and maybe spending a little more time enjoying and being present for the path. So when we first started, we were fresh. My feet were fresh. My back was fresh. Everything was fresh. Our whole notion was to get to Santiago. The destination was what was on our mind. By the end of the first day, I don't think there was a part of my body that didn't hurt. We had not trained for walking up and down on rock and gravel and really steep things. And I was very sore. And by the end of the day, the most important thing to me was how am I going to get to the bathroom? Because everything hurts. 
And the place we stayed the first night, I had to go through two flights of stairs, several doors across a few thresholds to get to the bathroom only to find someone else was in the bathroom. And I realized how important those little things today are. And I totally lost sight of where we were going. The pain uh, in the beginning, that was what I was concentrating. How am I going to get through today? And as the days went by, I started feeling better and getting used to it. When you're training, you don't hike long miles every single day back to back. So when you get there, no matter how much you trained, you're really not ready for what you're going to experience. But after a few days, I started getting in shape and my body was feeling better. And it got to where I got to the end of, of the day and I could take a shower, change clothes and go out and explore the city. The first day I got in shower, changed clothes and laid in the bed the rest of the night. <laughs> but now I could actually explore the city and it kind of opened me up to a whole new thing. And, and each day we were now looking around at what we saw. Uh, what were we passing through? Look at this vineyard. Uh, look at this little town. Let's stop and see this little town a little bit before we go on farther. There's a great cathedral here. Let's explore that. And so I kind of lost sight of my destination. And I got into the journey and every day was an adventure. When we finally got to the end, I remember I felt totally excited. We did this, but also totally disappointed that it was over. My journey had ended and I was such good shape at this time. Now it's when I should be starting the journey. I mean, now I'm in shape to do this thing. Uh, you know, this is a great example of you can't wait till all your ducks in a row before you get started because you're going to get your ducks in a row as you walk. You, you're going to walk yourself into shape. You got to get up to a threshold and you get started. But it was all about the day-to-day -day things as we got going and the destination was lost until we got real close to it. And then Oh, there it is. You, you could see the cathedral from a long ways away on a hill as you were coming into town. You really got that sense of the horse seeing the barn and speeding up and, and we're going to get there. But there was a little bit of a disappointment, I know, that the journey had come to an end. And I had that same feeling when I left medicine. You know, we think about, oh, can't wait till I'm retired. But that day when I walked out of the hospital for the last time, I remember feeling sad that that journey had ended. And I think people sometimes feel that way about their finances and financial independence too, that they all get caught up on that goalpost of getting there to financial independence. And maybe we should be enjoying the journey a little bit more, that maybe the path, the way we get there is just as important as the goal. That happened to me uh, as well, especially that the fact that once you get there, you change gears. To get there, you're saving, 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 saving. But once you get there, you have to change to a new mode. Now you're spending that money that you saved. And that's a really hard transition. I thought that'd be no big problem to start spending money. But you've gotten such a, a saving mode over the years that the notion of spending, it took me many, many months to loosen up and start using the money. It was kind of that I had to prove to myself I really had enough before I could really let go and start using it and go back to that notion of enjoying every day. So Bianca, I feel like as the resident expert, you can speak to this a little bit. Everyone I know who's ever done the Camino like comes home with a series of stories about the people they've met. Tell me from the six times you've been on the Camino, what's your favorite story? Oh man, I had to pick one. There's so many, you know, I think that that one about me seeing Michelle again is huge. And you know what's so interesting about that? 
is we had met her, this woman, and we'd walked with her a couple of days, my mom and I, and then we kind of, I don't want to say we ditched her, but we kind of ditched her and we were feeling really bad about it. But my mom couldn't keep up with her. My mom's one of those people who will constantly try to keep up. And so I said, mom, let's get up early tomorrow and we'll take a bus a few towns ahead. So that way you can relax a little bit. We don't have to worry about the time frame, which we did. And we saw her at a bus stop. She was just taking a break, but our bus was flying by. And we're like, oh my God, there's Michelle. Well, we never crossed paths with her again. And I had her number, but I lost it. Anyway, so I see her this year in Santiago. I yell her name and she looks at me and she has to place me because, you know, it's been five or six years. And so finally she walks up. She's like, Bianca. I said, yes. I'm like, this is so strange to see you here. She said, I have to tell you something. After we walked, I went home, I finished the Camino and I went and became a flight attendant. She was 50 something at the time. And she is now retired from being a flight attendant, but she's like, we had talked about finance. We had talked about flight attending. And she decided that that was the best idea for her because it was going to give her the same benefits of travel like I have, but also a good job to do in the meantime. So I just thought that was really cool. She's like, you changed my life, which, you know, maybe for five years, a small portion, but how cool is that? Diana, did you find yourself talking about finance with the people you met on the path? Yeah, somewhat, especially like young people that were trying to just like figure out what their next move was. One of the guys that I met, his name was William. He was 18. He had just graduated high school and he was definitely like wise beyond his years. Really great kid. He turned into like my little brother, you know, and he's visited me uh, since after the community. He actually was the first person to buy a ticket to economy. He had no money. I think he had a thousand dollars to his name when he was doing the Camino. Camino for us was two years ago. I just talked to him a couple of months ago and he had saved 20 grand in a year working some job. He decided not to go to school and all of our conversations about saving money and all the books that I told him to read, he really embraced all of that stuff. And it's really exciting to see, especially for a young person that was trying to figure himself out, how influential some of those money conversations had been. Corey, both Diana and Bianca talked about people who they influenced while they were on El Camino. Was there anyone specifically that influenced you that you brought home a piece of them with you when you left? Girl I mentioned earlier who just graduated from college, uh, was trying to find her way, had her first kiss on that trip. It was really interesting to talk to her, but I could see my kids in her as they were just trying to find their way. And most of the time, I didn't talk about finance with anybody because to me, I was on the Camino and I was off the grid. Had my phone on airplane mode almost all the time. I had all my blogs ahead of time on autopilot so that I was away. I met some people. She was one of them. And another lady who was uh, reeling from a terrible divorce had a horrible time and she was actually interviewing people like her who were on the Camino because something horrible happened to them. Bianca, it sounds like people come away from this pilgrimage different than when they left. I want to try to kind of summate this conversation. Tell us a little bit about how El Camino has changed your life, whether it has to do with finances or not, but how have you changed since your first pilgrimage? My first pilgrimage was quite short because I got hurt and came home. So six years later, I went back out there. When I returned, it was really the backpack thing because when I realized how little I needed to survive and be happy, I wanted to get rid of everything in my house. And I did. 
And then I got rid of the house and also had a divorce. So that might have helped to get rid of some things too. But since then, I've always lived in tiny homes. I have very few things, which is why it's easy for me to move every six months is what I'm doing right now. So I spend half the year in Wisconsin, half the year in Colorado, because I don't have a lot of things. They don't make me happier. I don't need to be prepared for Armageddon. It's just made life lighter for me. It's not to say I'll never have anything bigger or want more things. It's just that where I am in my life, I don't need those things. And I think that that's the difference is wanting and needing. I think before that I thought I needed all these things and and I don't. Now it's whether I want something or not. And there's a very big difference in, in the way that you relate to your home or even people and surroundings when you realize the difference between needing and wanting. And, and yeah, hiking many, many miles at this point has helped me with that. So it sounds almost like your El Camino pilgrimage and your financial independence journey are very tightly bound. You took away similar things and have integrated both together in your current lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely helped me to not spend as freely as I once did because I don't need the things anymore. But it's also just given me peace. And every time I go out there, I come back with that same peaceful feeling that I've accomplished something for one, but also how little it took to do it except for just raw grit. I mean, it's not easy. It is not easy to hike for that many days in a row, but what you gain is amazing. What you can gain spiritually, it's unparalleled. I can't make any other. I reached by last year and it's the same thing. Knowing that that is done and I am okay and I have enough, that's all I need. And now if I work, it's just for fun or play. There's some peace that comes with that. Diana, same question for you. How has El Camino changed your trajectory, financial and otherwise? I was hoping to gain some kind of transformation or clarity by doing the Camino. I think for me, again, like the emotional, spiritual side was a lot harder than I expected. Um, I remember when it ended, I was pretty disappointed in myself because I don't think that I had that sense of peace that Bianca describes that I thought I would. It was almost like the Camino shed some light on like where my inner demons were that I needed to work on, but felt like I wasn't done afterwards. I think that's part of the reason why I want to do it again. I think that it let me kind of know what I need to work on. It probably took me a year to like fully process what happened over there, kind of see what I was supposed to learn. I think Aside from questions that I had about work and what do I do with my life, I definitely had a lot of questions about relationships. You know, I was single for a long time, single for probably about five years and dated a lot, but just it wasn't coming together for me. And so I was questioning like, you know, what's going on here? They say the Camino provides. And it's funny because I had the intention of walking along by myself and like figuring out what was going on with my relationship with men in my head. But the Camino on the first day just drops this Australian man in my path. And it was like, no, 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 let's watch this play out in real time. You know, and so I end up like chasing this man across the country, and it was really dramatic and emotional. And that is not what I wanted my Camino to be. And so the parallel that I see there 
even with the pursuit of financial independence is you kind of have in your head of how you think it would be or how you think it's going to feel when you reach FI. But I think maybe be open to what life is showing you along the way and kind of be flexible in, yes, you still have the goal that you're going to physically walk to Santiago, but be open to what life presents along the way and the little nuances and lessons that present themselves, whether you like it or not. So what I clearly glean from this conversation is that walking the Camino can definitely change your life. And so I wanted to thank all three of you for coming on and discussing and talking about your separate and individual pilgrimages. I also want to give you guys a chance to tell us what's up next in your life and where can we find you on the internet? Bianca, let's start with you. You can find me at Miss Mizuma on Twitter and Instagram. My blog is currently defunct. But other than that, I'll be in Longmont until May and then I'm off to the cabooses in Wisconsin. So come on by and visit. Diana, what's up next in your life and where can we find you? Well, what's up next for me is the Economy Conference on March 7th at the University of Cincinnati. We've got nine amazing speakers, including the wonderful Doc G. Um, So it's going to be an amazing event, an incredible day. And I hope to see everyone there. You can find it at Economy, M-E, economyconference.com. And last but definitely not least, Corey Fawcett, What's up next in your life and where can we find you on the internet? Well, my fifth book just came back from the editor. I had turned that in recently and now it's my turn to work on it a little bit more to get it all polished up. So you can be looking for that to come out this summer. I'm not going to tell you what it is. It's going to cause a lot of controversy. I think there's going to be a bunch of people in the financial world that are going to come down on me for this. (laughs) We'll see because I'm going to be the contrarian in this particular arena. So you can find me at my new site, financialsuccessmd.com. If you need to get a hold of me, you can find any of my books on Amazon. I just had a recent interview with a number of physicians who tend to be a little bit contrarian in their financial views. And I asked them about this and they really opened up my worldview a little bit. They said, well, are you being contrary? Are we being contrary? Or are we just not bending to our limiting beliefs? And it really changed the way I looked at this idea of being a contrarian. Maybe those of us who have the courage to do things against the grain have just tackled their limiting beliefs as opposed to doing something against the grain just to do it. So it's an interesting idea. Yeah, we'll see what happens because I think most of the grain is just following the leader. They're not really thinking or doing it. I've actually done this and think that the grain is wrong. And uh, I'm going to show you why because I have firsthand experience. So I'm not telling you from theory. And so we'll see what happens. I look forward to it. All right. Well, this has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank Bianca Di Valerio, Diana Miriam, and Corey Fawcett. That's a wrap. Are you ever scrolling through your Facebook feed and wonder, boy, I wish I could listen to another episode of the Earn and Invest podcast? Well, now you can engage in our content in two different ways. One, you can go to our website, www.earnandinvest.com. That's E-A-R-N-A-N-D-I-N-V-E-S-T.com. Or you can check us out on Facebook at the Earn and Invest Facebook group. 
The easiest way to get there is www.diversify.com backslash Facebook. That's D-I-V-E-R-S-E-F-I dot com backslash Facebook. We hope to see you there and engage with our community on topics very similar to the ones you'll find on the podcast. Now back to the show. I want to introduce Brian Eufinger. He is the creator of Edison Prep. It is a preparatory tutor that helps high school students take the SATs, ACTs, and also prepare them for college in general. He is also one of the moderators of our Facebook group. Brian, welcome back to the What's Up Next podcast. Happy to be here. We had you on an episode before, is that right? We did. We talked about my affinity for focusing on growing the top line rather than spending that mental energy on over-frugality. The article you sent me was titled, The CFPB Moves to Eliminate Mortgage Debt-to-Income Rule, and this was put out by Bankrate, and it was written by Natalie Campisi. And I'm going to read just the first few sentences so you get an idea of what it was about. Heeding the call of some of the largest mortgage lenders in the industry, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the CFPB, is moving to back the elimination of debt-to-income, or DTI, requirements in mortgage underwriting. In a letter CFPB Director Kathy Craninger sent to Congress today, the CFPB asked to amend the ability to repay backslash qualified mortgage rule, that's the ATRQM rule, in order to remove DTI as a qualifying factor in mortgage underwriting. This rule was created in response to the financial crisis of a decade ago as a way to prevent lending money to borrowers who might not be able to afford the loan. The ATRQM rules includes eight separate borrower qualifications that lenders must examine when approving a loan. The rule includes things like verification of income, credit history, and DTI, among others. The only portion of the CFPB is asking to amend is the DTI requirement as a powerful coalition of lenders deems the rule unfair and constraining. So Brian, first of all, I found that last sentence quite interesting. The only portion of the CFPB is asking to amend is the DTI requirement as a powerful coalition of lenders deems the rule unfair and constraining. I guess this is the big question. Do we care what this powerful coalition of lenders deems? (laughs) It's a a good question. I mean, I think too many people, and obviously a lot of people that listen to these types of podcasts are not a very skewed sample, but I certainly know that if my wife and I hadn't been financial nerds before we started looking for our first house that we bought about 10 years ago or 12 years ago, a lot of people are told, oh, you qualify for this. And then that's a number in their head that they might think, oh, that's what I'm supposed to spend. One cost that is very near and dear to us, obviously, so since we run a college prep company, is since my wife and I bought our house in 2008, the national average of total costs, you know, room, board, tuition, everything, has gone up another 30 or 40%. And a lot of these first-time home buyers are people who are going to have some student loans, possibly both in student loans, possibly, possibly a graduate degree or certificate. If people were having struggles 10, 12 years ago under the old standards, and that you know, it was a very common sense move to create the CPFB during the whole crisis, I think that any steps you can make that try and not give the indication like whatever you want to go with is fine um, are good for the whole system just because if the whole system comes down whether you are the risky borrower or just the guy who's the next door neighbor um, you know the market is the market and people can get hurt the big question is what is the consumer financial protection bureau doing <laughs> listening to these large money lenders right isn't it the consumer financial protection bureau it sounds like they're listening more to the large money lenders than they are to the actual consumers and what's good for them. One intelligent comment that I saw somewhere, I forget which one it was, was 
there needs to be a way if you're going to have these standards that people who are either self-employed uh, and or have irregular income and maybe a realtor who has a good couple of good months, couple of bad months can not be discriminated against because I think a number of people with valid complaints about, you know, I'm not high enough or I'm too, or I'm, I'm not within the limits could be people like that. And it's an ever growing part of the economy. But I don't think that means that the guy's comment in the article where he said, well, we're just going to get rid of the goalposts altogether. You know, I, I think that's a valid point. Speaking of the discrimination, uh, Joshua Crum commented on our Facebook group. He said, I've seen a lot of income-based discrimination in mortgages that shouldn't happen. Disabled and elderly people aren't allowed to be homeowners. That's not okay. This will likely help that, but I also see another bubble forming as well. So there may be some discrimination. He was talking about disabled and elderly. You were talking about people who have irregular income. I guess the idea is that this might help that somewhat, but the other thing he brings up is this issue of another bubble. And in fact, I think it was Jennifer Ma who said, it looks like we're doomed to repeat the same mistakes. It seems like we made this mistake before, right? And it sounds a lot like 2008. And interestingly enough, not to throw some of my friends under the bus, but many of my friends who are around my age, I'm 38, who bought their first house, bought it at the bottom of the crisis. And I kid you not, they bought it with, they had zero emergency fund. They took the $8,000 Obama tax credit, not tax deduction. And that was their entire down payment for 3%. And then they were flying blind. And so that was a lot of my peers. And so uh, the markets have accelerated. Things have gotten a heck of a lot more expensive. There's not any $8,000 tax credits I see looming. You know, I, I know very few people that are making a meaningful down payment, much less have a three-month emergency fund uh, when they're buying the, the first house. It seems like we learned a lot from 2008, 2009. We put all sorts of laws in place. And then as the market has boomed over the last 10 years, we're slowly picking them apart. Seems that way. Yeah, for sure. Another criticism I saw, and this was from Rick McGinley in the Facebook group. He said, I read this as neither Fannie, Freddie, FHA, nor VA loans were subject to this DTI rule for some time. So he was saying that at least... Fannie, Freddie, FHA, VA, those never really use DTI anyway. So maybe he thinks that this urge to the CFPB is making will just bring other mortgage lenders in line with the governmental ones. Do you think that argument holds water? I'm not sure. I saw both on uh, What's Up Next and other places. I saw debates as to whether that, you know, what the definition, what the definition of is is. So I, I, can't, I can't speak to what, whether it's allowed or not. But I, I think even just messaging, you know, uh, so many people in our community, people that are active on your page have done good work creating curriculums and sharing neat articles about guidelines. I think anything we can do as a community, since we're trying to educate others, to not give the impression like, hey, let's just move the goalpost and it's totally okay if you spend 60 something percent of your income on, on a house. You know, that's not healthy for the economy, healthy for people's long-term retirements. I, I mean, I, I would err on the side of conservatism on that part. Other comments I'd like to read out here. Debbie Todd said, oh boy, here we go again. Jeff Goring said, yes, back to the wild, wild west of lending. I mean, when it all comes down to it, I guess it goes back to the most basic of personal finance rules. If you can't afford it, don't buy it. And we come up against this over and over and over again. It seems like we want to change the rules such that we can get more for less. And when it comes to loans you eventually always have to pay the Pied Piper. 
And maybe that's what we're trying to teach here. I certainly hope that's what people learn from what's up next, as well as personal finance and financial independence in general, is that it's always best to buy what you can afford. And if you're having questions about whether you can afford or not, uh, maybe you shouldn't be putting the money down. And certainly mortgages work that way. You just don't want to get stuck with too much house. Agree. This is a special segment from the Facebook group page. Thank you for being part of our community. If you're interested in being involved on the group page, we discuss topics which are very similar to what you hear on the What's Up Next podcast. Go ahead and visit our site, www.diversify.com backslash Facebook. That's D-I-V-E-R-S-E-F-I.com backslash Facebook. Yeah, no, no, this was a lot of fun. Corey, unfortunately, your audio was horrible. So you and me might have to do some separate recording to fix it. <laughs> See, that's how horrible it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't hold it anymore. It's just too much. Uh, or we can make a regular fall. Yeah, I we'll figure it out. I didn't rim, so. <laughs> <laughs> Corey, why don't you go ahead and sign off? Your your audio's not good enough. We'll talk to you later, okay? <laughs> oh, that's good. Let me go ahead. Okay, and... bye. All right, take care. <laughs> I just love the fact that you guys were talking about, you know, these blisters and stuff, and then Corey's like, well, I just stayed in my own room. <laughs> I paid someone to carry the backpack for the few days, and I was like... Well, and that's when it becomes a vacation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, I understand exactly why I did it. I'm sure I do the same thing, but it was just, it was a funny, um, a funny comparison. Yeah. You know what we didn't talk about that is so important also is favorite food on the Camino because the only way I'm leaving my house these days is for vacation is to eat. Like <laughs> <laughs> everything is about food. And then in the restaurants, there'd be like no vegetables. I used to joke on the trail. I would ask people like, who do I have to blow around here for some vegetables? <laughs> like, I just felt so malnourished half the time. But of course you like get, you get used to it. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts.